what what are you going to do to give back to this nation that's given you so much right and and so i believe there has to be a sense of patriotism and and giving back um in in every individual in in some way hi and welcome to another episode of south asian stories i'm your host samir desai in this episode i had the pleasure of chatting with dr raj ayer Dr. Iyer is the first Chief Information Officer of the U.S. Army after the Pentagon created the position in July 2020. Dr. Iyer is one of the highest-ranking Indian-American civilians in the U.S. Department of Defense. He holds a Ph.D. in electrical engineering and serves as the principal advisor to the Secretary of the Army. Dr. Iyer has direct representation of the Secretary in matters relating to information management as well as informational technology. Equivalent in rank to the three-star general, Dr. Iyer supervises an annual budget of $16 billion for the U.S. Army's IT operation. He has over 15,000 civilians and military personnel posted across 100 countries working for him. It was an absolute honor to talk to Dr. Iyer. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Raj Iyer. Hi, Dr. Iyer, and welcome to South Asian Stories Podcast. I'd like to start at the way beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up and what that was like? Yeah, so I have now lived here in the United States for most of my adult life, but I grew up in India for the first 21 years of my life and all the way up through um, undergraduate degree in India. So um, I grew up in a city called Bangalore. Uh, It's in South India. And uh, pretty modern metropolitan city, uh, probably comparable to many other large uh, metro cities around the world, but also one that was very um, uh, ethnically diverse um, and as well as one that's always been considered tech savvy, right? So, you know, most people in India India call Bangalore as the Silicon Valley of of South Asia. And so I was always, you know, around people that were in technology, people that had, um, um, you know, strived and been uh, been successful at become entrepreneurs. And uh, and also, uh, Bangalore also happens to be uh, India's uh, defense capital in a, in a way because of the, uh, the location for a lot of the aerospace and defense industries um, in the area. So uh, my upbringing was uh, very, very much traditional middle, uh, middle class um, family. Um, you know, I should say that, you know, I am now the third generation of public servants in my family. So uh, my, my parent, my dad, as well as uh, my grandfather were both, um, um, you know, worked for the Indian government and uh, as public servants. And uh um, and so, so that's uh, so not that that drove to where I am today, but it, it certainly when when you look back over time, you recognize and you see certain patterns, and you wonder, hmm, maybe you know that's that's you know it was always in me, right? Yeah. Um, but um, but I grew up um, in in Bangalore, uh, did my, all my schooling there, and uh, uh, just like most kids in India, grew up uh, in a large me- you know metropolis. Um, you know, English is a dominant language. Um, so I grew up um, essentially English as my first language, and um, and uh, which you know, um, which in hindsight makes me feel like you know there was a big part of culture that I probably was never exposed to when I grew up. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, growing up in India, I, I tell people has has great benefits because for for South Asians who know about India, you know, it's it's a country that has 
you know, over 150 languages and, you know, about 50 completely unique cultures all in one country. So if you're looking for a melting pot, melting pot of cultures and, and religions and languages and uh, traditions, it's the one place in the world where you can all get them, you know, in, in, in one country and literally drive two hours in either direction and, and feel like you're in a completely different, you know, country altogether. And, uh, and, and I think that up, upbringing uh, for most people that have immigrated, you know, to the United States from India will tell you, you know, that kind of diversity and thought and thinking and um, the value of that, 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 you know, the culture and uh, the ability to work with people um, of different, you know, cultures, faiths and, um, and, and traditions, you know, at the end of the day makes you a better person. And uh, I know here in, in our country here in the United States, you know, we continue to have the conversation here, although, you know, the United States is a much newer um, democracy compared to, um, to India. Um, you know, it's it's a conversation we you know we have here in this country as well today. Um, that you know, with the social unrest and everything that has been ongoing. But um, but anyway, I made it here back here uh, here to the United States uh, in the early '90s, uh, and I think you know what what drove me here was uh, basically you know for a lot of people that immigrated uh, to the U.S., it was about looking for opportunities and uh, economic opportunities. To be really frank. Um, and, you know, 30 and 40 years ago, um, uh, India was not the India you see today. And um, obviously, there's been a remarkable um, transformation in India over the last few decades. But, you know, for most early immigrants that came from South Asia here to the United States was, you know, economic opportunism is what I call it. Um, and we all knew that, you know, this is a place where you could be yourself um, and, you know, there were there was no ends to to your dreams and, and you could you could accomplish and achieve anything you set your mind on. And uh, and and even though, you know, not to say that people in India did not achieve that it was just much, much harder to achieve. Um, and and so um, and so that's how I came here. Um, I came here for my, you know, my uh, graduate degree. Um, and I was actually really early on, I had decided that, you know, I, I really wanted to uh, get a PhD as well. So I, I stayed on for actually, um, you know, five and a half years to graduate school and uh, did a master's and PhD degree combined in electrical engineering at the University of Texas at Arlington, uh, just, just outside Dallas. Um, and again, people say, hey, you know, why did you land there? And I, and I tell people that was uh, the only affordable school I could go to, quite <laughs> honestly. And uh, you know, I tell people the story about, you know, how my dad had to, you know, I mean, he had to literally wipe out his entire lifetime savings to, you know, to buy me a ticket and pay, you know, for the, you know, one semester of tuition and just a little bit of money to put in my pockets to send me here. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, again, that's not a, you know, that's a story that's, you know, typical of, of many immigrants um, to this country. And, uh, and basically, you know, and, but he believed in me. And uh, enough to be able to say, hey, I'm willing to pony up my, you know, my lifetime savings because I know you'll do well and I know you'll succeed. But, you know, you can certainly uh, imagine the pressure, um, you know, on a, on a 21 year old at that point, um, you know, that has to make it happen. But, you know, I certainly did. And uh, and again, this is what I tell people is that this is the land of opportunity. And, and if you work hard and you really, really hard and you want to make it happen, you know, you will make it happen. So, um, so I was fortunate enough to 
um, you know, scrape through the first semester, but then be able to get on a, a fellowship from the university that carried me on for the next, you know, five years, uh, you know, and and essentially paid for my graduate school education all the way through, right? Um, so, so again, it's um, it's one of those things that in this country, you know, I mean, again, a lot of immigrants who come here will tell you that you know it's you, you do the right thing um, and and you are rewarded and and it at the end of the day it's still a meritocracy and 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 that matters. Yeah. Um, so 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 those were really my kind of humble beginnings in the country and in in here when I when I got here and um, and and so uh, and I'd say from that point on there was like really never turning back um, and I set my you know, I, I set my goals higher and higher um, as I moved forward, and uh, and and to you know, and again, maybe not a surprise, but you know, I was able to accomplish every one of the goals that I have set for myself, and it just continues to validate the fact that you know, this, this nation continues to be you know the the land of opportunity. So, as you were, you know. I, I, as you were going through your career, were you always interested in technology? And you said like you were always aiming for the next bar, getting the next place. Was there any setbacks that you happened that that meant kind of like push you off the road that you're like had to dust yourself off and, and and get back on it? Anything you can? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would say you know many, many, many times, right? And um, you know, and and so um, I'd say probably the. The, the first time that happened to me was, um, you know, so so even when I was in graduate school, as I started working on my uh, my doctoral degree, um, I had the opportunity to actually co-found a, a, a dot-com startup company. And this is, you know, in, in the in the days of the, you know, dot-coms when, you know, it was so easy for anybody to start one up in the 90s. And, um, and so, um, and, and again, so again, this was again a test for me to see, you know, hey, uh, I, I've always had kind of like an entrepreneurial edge in me, and um, and so uh, my graduate professor um, and and I, you know, co-founded a company, and and we grew it to um, you know a pretty large company in the in the ten years in the first ten years I was there, you know, the 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 company re- you know basically um, uh, transitioned technology that we had developed uh, at the universities and and commercialized that, um, but. Um, sure enough, you know, I mean, this is just around the time when the dot-com bust happened. You know, we were at one point, you know, looking at, you know, private equity valuations of over $200 million for our company. And, you know, within a matter of weeks, you know, saw that all go down and to literally nothing. And and so it was the first uh, real lesson in, hey, this is, this, is, uh, this is capitalism. This is how it works. And uh, and so you gotta you gotta ride the highs and the lows, and uh, and as painful as it was then, um, and looking back in hindsight, you know, um, thinking about hey, was that anything I would have done different? Um, sure, but you know, no one can really predict um, the future, and that's you know. But again, it's all about resiliency, and and you know, when you are in the right environment and. And um, and and in this nation, I believe that you know you are able to be as resilient as you can be, and so so I said, hey, you know, I'm gonna, I mean, it's it's a good time to switch careers, and and that's how I landed uh, at the United States Army for the for the first time. So uh, there's always some good to come out of uh, you know bad things that happen to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
tell tell us how about the, the the opportunity for the U.S. Army. How did that come up, and you know how did you take advantage of that? Was that it's it, when I was reading the article, it sounded like it was it wasn't part of the plan, but just came up as something that you had to take advantage of. Oh yeah, so two times, right? So so this is my second time actually coming back to the army as a CIO. So I was. Um, so I joined the army um, in 2000, 2002. Uh, and like I said, um, that was my first time, first exposure to understanding, you know, what the United States Army was about, because the United States Army was actually one of my customers um, for my for my startup stock, dot, dot com startup company. And so I was actually uh, actively engaged with working with the army as a customer. Um, had made several visits to army bases and army clients. And always intrigued me as to um, you know how um, um, how the army at that time. Now remember, you know this is when you when you talk about you know 2001, 2002. That's when you know 9/11 had just happened. Right. And uh, for for most people that know this, you know the 10 years preceding that, um, the army was in a what I call a you know in uh, had had piled up huge technical debt. Uh, because the Cold War had ended, right um, after the after the 80s, and and the the entire 90s, you know, the Department of Defense as a whole in the Army, um, really, you know, was was in a was in a period of you know uh, extreme extremely reduced readiness, um, no modernization. Um, you know, there were people that had just you know were just carrying on with their jobs, and um, and then 9/11 happened. And it suddenly changed, you know, the fact that the, the the army now was now in an active war in in the Middle East, and right. it happened, you know, almost, you know, instantaneously. Um, but you know, what I found in those early days was, you know, how hard the army was struggling um, to keep up with, um, you know, the, uh, um, the 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 terrorists and 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 being able to maintain our competitive edge in the Middle East. And and it was technology at the end of the day that was lacking, right? The the army had weapon systems to fight to fight with, they, but it was it was the weapon systems that they had used to working uh, to fighting with uh, uh, with the Russians in the 70s and 80s and to maintain deterrence. Um, and we were talking, you know, the old M1 Abrams tanks, and and that didn't fly very well, you know, when you know when we were in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so um, so that is. Um, you know, so the more I started talking to some of the army, um, um, you know, folks that I knew and and people that I had gotten, you know, built a friendship with, you know, it, it just occurred to me, you know, it's like maybe now's the time for me to actually give something back to this nation, right? Uh, this nation that's given me so much in the past and has gotten me to where I am. Um, I really felt like, you know, there's, you know, I this is there's, you know, I, I owe it to myself um, to to turn something back. And and so the you know when when you, when I talked about the fact that you know my my dot com company had just gone bust, I said you know what let's just you know let's just wipe the slate clean and do something different. And that's when I said you know I'm gonna go come work for the army. So I actually joined the army as a as an engineer um, and took in taking a, a pay cut that was a fraction of you know what I was making um, uh, just a few years before, but. Um, but and, and I expected to be there maybe for two or three years, you know, just to get a good feel for what it was to work for the government. I actually stayed on for ten full years, right? And and so what did you stay on um, for ten years? Well, so again, like I said, it was it was a fact that I couldn't, you know, every day I used to go into work, 
um, it felt like you know there was something that you were given back to the nation. So in those days, it was all about you know fielding new weapon systems, you know the the MRAPs, the you know armoring the Humvees, you know because they were getting blown up as like tin cans um, in Iraq. So so it, it was you know the engineering that went into that, um, you know working with scientists and industry, um, and 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 knowing that somehow you know what what I was contributing to was a was a little bit you know, to keep our, you know, our, our soldiers safe and our nation safe. And, yeah. um, and, and it was the 10 fast, fastest 10 years that went by uh, before I realized, you know, hey, um, you know, maybe I should try to do something else different. Um, but this time around, you know, again, when I came back to the Army uh, the second time around as a CIO uh, just, you know, four months ago, that again was completely unexpected. And uh, because I had, you know, after my first time in the Army, I had moved out to the private sector uh, had been there for about 10 years. And um, and then out of the blue, I get a call from the Pentagon saying, hey, you know, we're interested in talking to you. And, you know, we've heard a lot about you. Uh, you might be the right candidate. You know, we've been trying to fill a position for the CIO. And I actually told them, no, I'm not interested. Uh, really? You know, I've done my part. Yeah, I said, I'm, I've done my part uh, for the Army. I'm having, a, I'm having, you know, I'm having a good time. Uh, and I, I just don't think the, the timing is right. And and yet, um, you know, when I started talking to the senior leaders, when I when I met with the secretary of the army, and and some of the senior leaders, and you know, when I looked at you know where the army is today, and, compa- and comparing that to what I saw in the early 2000s, um, it was almost like we've just come back full circle. And in and it is again because of the fact that you know the the army and where we are now, uh, you know, after 20 years of war. Has again put us, you know, has depleted us of, you know, the the resources, the innovation, the modernization that's needed. And if you look at, you know, because we were been we as a nation have been so actively fighting wars in the Middle East, you know, we have lost track of the fact that China and Russia have have been actively building up their military strength um, on their own and yeah. focusing on parts of the world and have essentially, you know, uh, created imbalance. Um, the world because we have been so active in, in the Middle East and and so so we as we now wind down our wars and and we you know we bring our troops back home from the Middle East um, it is very clear that you know where we as a nation now have um, have a role to play is in is is in the Pacific and uh, and and both Russia and China um, you know uh, as near peer adversaries. Um, have built their military might um, that right, is now right. threatening peace um, in South Asia and 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 in Southeast Asia, and and so so with that change in in geopolitics, um, the army right now is on this this massive modernization effort like like it has never ever seen in its history in its 250 year history, and uh, and it's all about by the way not just buying you know new you know. Uh, new tanks and, and new helicopters is about how we fight using technology, right? And yeah. I tell people that, um, you know, I mean, knowingly, and some people know it, and a lot of people do not know it, we have already, we have been fighting the cyber war for several years already, right? It just hasn't been very visible. Um, but we certainly feel, I think, you know, the we as, we as a nation now have to acknowledge the fact that moving forward, you know, cyber along with, you know, other weapons that our adversaries have um, have implemented, by the way, stealing our own technology, uh, like hypersonic missiles, 
has now put us in a nation as a nation where we now have to respond to the future speed of war you know at at you know in milliseconds right yeah. decision making in milliseconds yeah. um when you have something that's coming at you at hypersonic speeds is it, is not like you know you had the you know the luxury of time you had you know in in back in the old days right. of the army right. right and and so 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 te- the role that technology plays um in the army and how the army has you know embarked on leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning and and data and data as the ammunition of the future fight really has positioned um you know a much broader stronger role for technology in the army like it has never been before and and so when i heard about that and i heard about the role of the cio in kind of driving that transformation for the army um and positioning the you know the united states for uh for us to be better positioned to protect ourselves um through deterrence but you know god forbid we have to fight a war to win decisively um that is you know through technology and and if i could as a cio play that little role in 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 terms of getting the army there um it it's certainly something that you know will have lasting impact on the on the security of the nation yeah that 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 is amazing and and just the amount of impact you have you know from your position from where you were before you had your first stint then a second stint you know in a leader leadership position i'm curious dr ayer you know from someone who's a civilian on the other side of the government we think of the government as a big cruise ship right that's like moving huge tons of of you know people and and systems and technology how do you influence something as large as the as the the army in something that is so can, needs to be as so iterative like technology and sometimes it feels as that it's at odds how do you how do you reconcile that oh it absolutely is right and that is the hardest problem that we have and my toughest challenge of my career my 30 year career is exactly what you just said right so you hit you hit the nail on the head and it it is all about bringing culture change right mm-hmm. it is it is about you know one um you know given how large the army is i mean you know we're talking um you know um, 1.4 million soldiers civilians worldwide in 150 nations um fighting you know today in areas where a lot of people don't even know and can't even show you know point the countries on the map and and yet we're there you know because we have interests that that we have to protect um but at the end of the day you know what i feel and again this is you know coming back into this job that has really put me in a much more strategic um position is is really an you know a um a, a, a recognition that you know when you when you are in a position like where i am where i have to run a you know 15 20 billion dollar enterprise i mean that's the army's annual it budget uh worldwide you know it's really about setting conditions for success for the the big army to succeed right and because it's never a one person job it is it has to be a a grounds up you know bottoms up grassroots campaign where we excite motivate and incentivize everybody to do the right things and pull in the right direction and and so what i tell people is that you know hey i'm the chief information officer but i see really myself as you know the guy that's just you know trying to get everybody excited about why we're doing this because if you can get people excited and you can show the impact of what they're doing on the mission of the army um and we can talk to them talk to them about the urgency of you know the the you know the urgency for change and why that has to happen now 
and what that means to what that means for us in terms of national security that is how you bring about change because at the end of the day when you work for the government it is not it is not monetary compensation that drives you right yeah. so my last 10 years in the private sector you know was so much was driven by monetary compensation and and i i could incentivize people to do things a certain way you know monetarily that you cannot do in the government and so if it is not the financial compensation that drives you then what drives you right and it has to be the passion for for the work and the mission and so i see myself as you know my primary responsibility to be really around um you know communicating the vision um it's all about getting people excited getting people to understand what they're doing and help you know building the strategy so that they can all pull in one direction right yeah. um and because if you don't have a strategy and a plan then there's a lot of activity that happens that may not result in the right outcome so um so being able to you know achieve that unity of effort um through through a strategy and a, and a campaign of you know strategic communication um is is absolutely critical but again just like any other large you know government agency the army you know i mean we also struggle with you know i mean we have uh, a lot of people nearing retirement and that doesn't mean that they're not effective many of them are absolutely effective but it's about achieving the right balance of getting in fresh talent and fresh blood and and how do we excite you know kids out of college to come work for the army um and and show them that you know hey even if it's not an entire career you know how promising this can be and how you know you as an individual can truly make change um and 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 why not give something back to your nation right and and you know uh, i mean our army and our our defense forces in general i mean we're we're a volunteer army right but if you can't you know put your uniform put a uniform on for this country why can't you at least you know want you know come come in and spend some time you know as a civilian working on some of the most complex challenges you know facing our nation today yeah that that i think that impact you have when you work for government and and work for the army yeah you could go if i'm a young engineer i could go to a technology company in the bay area but i might be working on one product and one feature in while if you're working for your organization doctor you're working on something that can affect global you know security things that you know as a 23 22 year old that kind of impact you can't get anywhere else and they need as you said fresh talent i'm also curious to know like you know you have spent your whole career in your education in technology however many of the generals and the people you interface with in government probably don't have a technology background or it seems very ethereal to them how do you influence and communicate to those who are have a non-technology background especially if they're senior to you and you have to like you know drive the agenda to them Yeah so that's a great question and again but this is exactly one of the reasons why I actually decided to come back as a CIO because the last I'd say the last 3 years you know the transformation that the army has undergone um through the army modernization strategy has really put technology front and center mm-hmm. to how the army is going to modernize so I was really shocked you know when you know my first uh discussion with the with the secretary uh and and he wanted to talk about you know edge computing architectures for how to move data from you know the tactical edge you know you know back to the cloud um and and how you know the army would be able to leverage that to be able to you know uh send sensor data from the field and and to use that you know to shoot down enemies right and and so it was you know the the army actually the last 
two years at the very senior levels um, have gone through tremendous transformation to get a good um, a good understanding of technology. And again, not a deep understanding, but a great appreciation and understanding for you know the role that technology is going to play, and how everyone you know whether you're in uniform or a civilian, you are going to have to be tech savvy to be able to you know fight the future fight. And so, so I can tell you, I have, I sit in meetings with four-star generals who can go, you know, head to head with me, you know, talking about technology in the army. Really? Today. Wow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and so, uh, so it is, it truly is, uh, has changed things. Um, and, and, and is, and is setting the right tone for the change in, you know, the change, the, the culture change that I talked about. Right. Got because it. so much of that has to start from the top, the, the vision and, um, and and showing that you get it, and and the fact that uh, that you you know you you support it, and it is no longer where IT and technology is a back office in the army, right? So my job in, as a CIO is very little to do with you know running desktop computers and email and <laughs> and and SharePoint or you know getting people you know account access or uh, resetting their passwords or any any of that stuff, right? So. So, so we have now put technology and digital transformation centered to how we're going to fight. Um, and I can tell you, I, I, in fact, I find it hard in several meetings to keep up with uh, with three star and four star generals who are able to speak more technology than than even I can. Wow, wow, that absolutely is that that's way different than what someone on the other side would would, would imagine. That that's great. That's a great story, um, Doctor. Like, talk to us through, um, you know someone who works in the army and especially your job, what is your day-to-day like? Is it, you know, people have a vision of what they see in the movies and like, can you bring us into it? Like bring us back into reality of what your job is like and what is it like to work from the government from the inside? Yeah. So, so at my level, right, obviously it varies, but at my level, um, I, like I said, it, it is very strategic and it's all about bringing people together. Okay. Right. So, so I would say it's one is strategic thinking, right? So my job as a CIO was really about, you know, establishing that, that vision for the future because there were already quite a few efforts underway before I got there. So, you know, I certainly cannot take credit for the things that the army is already doing today. But what it lacked was a vision and a strategy to bring things together, right? So getting them aligned, um, like I talked about. So that is gonna require a lot of strategic thinking and and visioning for what the end state should look like and how we get to that end state through a roadmap. Um, And quite frankly, this is, when I was in the private sector in consulting, this is exactly what I would do for large Fortune 100 CIOs and others. Uh, is helping them through, you know, setting these kinds of strategies for for large corporations, right? Yeah. And so, so that is absolutely critical, um, you know, in the army today. The second thing, like I said, is is you know, once you do set that strategy, it's about you know getting achieving consensus with all the stakeholders because you know, just like in any large Fortune 100 company, you know, power, uh, you know, especially in a multi, you know, multinational, you know. Um, a global corporation that has business units all over the world, you know, you, you talk to any of those CEOs, they will tell you that they don't really control, you know, they, uh, you know, they can make decisions for everybody all the time, right? They have to set that, that high level vision and, and the guardrails. And, and, and it's about how do you get everybody to pull together in one direction, right? How do you achieve yeah. that consensus? And so I spend a lot of time truly trying to get people behind me um, and, and, oh, by the way, you know, it works both ways. So it's always also me working 
um, as an advisor to them, right? So, you know, the, the three-star, the four-star generals that you talked about count on me as their trusted advisor, you know, when it comes to technology and they have a hard problem is, he, you know, is, you know, how can they reach back out to the CIO um, to help them solve that complex challenge? Um, so achieving consensus is, is critical because, again, this, when, you, when, you do, when you talk about cultural transformation, it's, you know, you cannot leave anybody behind. And this is why, you know, a lot of people feel like, hey, the government is bureaucratic because things take time. But things take time for a reason, right? Because you do want to bring everybody on board with you. You don't want to leave anybody behind. And you do not want naysayers, right? You'll always have early adopters, but and that's great. But you don't want to have naysayers. So, so taking the time to work through and achieving consensus is important. Um, achieving how we make, you know, decisions through governance is really important. So I spend a lot of time you know, talking through, you know, how do we establish the right structure for decision-making at Echelon, at different levels in the army, right? And when you are decentralized um, and not all decisions are made at the top, how do you make sure that you are able to make, you know, that you're empowering, you know, commanders to make the right decisions at, at the right levels that align with your vision and your strategy? And then how do you make sure that you have the oversight that's needed to make sure that you know, you're not directing them, you're not policing them, but you want to make sure that you have the right oversight control to make sure that you know the execution aligns with the strategy that was set, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I spend a lot of time, you know, basically talking to to people because at the end of the day, the army fights with our people. It's about you know how it's you know, and I, I tell people that despite the fact that technology is cool and we may have a lot of weapon systems in the army the army will tell you that we always go to fight with our people, right? And, and so it's really important to, um, to, to build high morale um, and to be able to, um, you know, do things, you know, make sure that we are addressing things like diversity and inclusion um, and, and making sure that, you know, um, that, that, you know, that people are able to, um, are, are able to execute the mission, um, um, you know, uh, with, with the tools they have, they need uh, for the job, and are able to get their job done, and and I'll and I spend a lot of time on listening sessions, right? So yeah. uh, every time I go on travel to a, a command or a unit, um, I, I hear people out because to me, you know, I need to know what is happening on the ground, um, you know, what is working, what's not working, so I can use that feedback to then help reshape the strategy if needed. That's great. That's really great. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that I would love to touch on is diversity, inclusion, and identity, right? This is South Asian stories. And have you, have you, you know, my, my, my guess, my hypothesis is in the military and in the government, there's not many people that look like you and I that is, is South Asian or, you know, maybe even Asian. How have you dealt with your identity and who you are and your background in a environment that maybe doesn't have people that that have you know look and feel and talk like us yeah that's a great question right so um so when i first joined the army you know way back in the early 2000 um it was certainly a different army than the army today i can tell you that and i and i see the difference right and um um those days i certainly was i believe um uh, I was probably one of maybe a dozen South Asians in the army of over a million people at that time. Wow. Right? Um, and and today, you know, um, all I have to do is go to our global directory or email directory and and search for just Iyer, uh, my last name, and you can find dozens of them, right? Oh, and great. many of them in uniform, 
Um, and it certainly is a really proud moment. Um, um, and uh, and so I, I it is it certainly, you know, it, it makes me feel proud that it's, you know, it wasn't, you know, I may have been one of the first ones that decided to go this path. But and I would and like you said, maybe, an, uh, you know, an unconventional path for for a career. Uh, but today, I would say that is no longer the case um, in the army, and and obviously, you know, now having our first South Asian vice president in the White House, yes, um, is even yes. more incentive and motivation for uh, a lot of people um, of you know from South Asia to know recognize that hey, you know, if if you know vice vice president Harris can do it, I can do it, right? Exactly. And and if so Dr. Harris can do it. We can do it, <laughs> right? And and then you look at you look at the number of people in the administration in in the Biden administration. Yeah. Um, you know that I mean, there's a, a couple dozen, two or three dozen, you know, senior officials of South Asian origin um, in the administration already um, in in key posts and positions. And so, but going back to the army, I would say you know the army has always been a strong believer in modeling uh, character or behavior. That may not be what we as a nation in our society may be, but what it needs to be, right? Mm -hmm. And and so um, so very early on, if you go back to the history, you know, and read the history of the United States Army, you'll find that you know, and again today, you know, this would probably be classified as you know extreme left liberalism, but you know what the Army stands for is has always been about you know. Um, uh, diversity and equal equal uh, equal employment opportunity for everybody, and and to be able to bring in people of different cultures um, in and um, and so so there's a rich history in the army of of, of diversity and inclusion. Just that the scale was never there um, in the past um, to what it's been. But I can tell you with you know you know there's there's things that are changing. You know as you probably know. Uh, Sikhs that wear turbans and and are, and wear beards are now allowed in the army to to keep their their turbans and and their beards right, which is so important to for them to maintain their identity, yeah. and and that is exactly what I have done, you know. So so going back to the question you asked is, you know, I I am not you know shy to say you know that I I have been proud of my South Asian heritage, right? And 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 again because that's what the army welcomes. The army welcomes. The fact that you know that we have this this diversity amongst us at at all levels and um, and again I don't mind sharing my my rich cultural history and my heritage and where I came from and and use that as a as a teaching opportunity for others to learn about you know other cultures and and take advantage of the same from others right and I think it's so important for us to have this conversation in our country now than ever before, yeah. because there's just there is just so much lack of understanding that leads to misunderstanding of each other's cultures, and uh, and I believe that is absolutely needed now, and and we should welcome that um, that that dialogue and exchange of ideas, um, and I can tell you the army has certainly been, um, you know, very very vocal and supportive. Of all of those initiatives, and over the last year or so, we have embarked on you know major diversity and inclusion initiatives across the army. That is leading to exactly this, right? These, you know, we are holding senior leaders like myself and others are holding listening sessions with staff all over the world, right? And we are enabling this conversation to happen. I mean, we are basically facilitating this discussion. We don't, we don't, we're not telling them what to do. We're not putting, you know, we're not, um, we're not preaching to them. We're not trying to 
um, you know, force a certain point of view on them. But I believe what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable uh, an environment where people can truly, you know, openly exchange ideas uh, in a friendly way, in a constructive manner to help see each other better, because that's exactly what this nation needs right now. That is amazing. And that is so encouraging to hear, right? From, from from your experience from where you started to where it is now, like that is incredible. And I'm just so happy to hear that as someone who has not had been as representative in, in government function, especially the army to see where it is now. That's amazing. Um, before we go to a rapid fire questions, Dr. I want to know, what is something that you've been most proud of in your time at the Army? One of your biggest accomplishments that you just feel so good about? And what are you most excited about in the next few years that, that you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, so I'd say the one I'm most excited about really is, you know, and I could count, you know, any number of initiatives that I've started and programs that I've run in the Army. Uh, but I would say what I'm really proud about is, you know, when I left the Army, you know, uh, you know, and, and and went into private industry to be called back again because people still remembered what I had done 10 years ago. True to me meant that I left a legacy behind that people yeah. you know, continue to talk about, right? So, and it was through, you know, it wasn't really programs per se. It was about, you know, driving change and driving culture change and, and thinking out of the box and, and questioning status quo. And essentially, I left behind, you know, my my first 10 years in the Army, um, you know, tons and tons of people that I had worked with that I had influenced and, you know, in terms of seeing how they could be doing things differently, right? And and they all, many of them still are around and, and, and they, they talk about, you know, how I used to work with them. And so going back to, you know, people being the primary driver of how we operate and how we do things. To me, my biggest legacy and my achievement would be the influence I've had on people to be able to go drive change now on their own, right? Things that awesome. they have decided to say, hey, the you know, if Raj can do this in the army and he's been successful, look where he was and look where he's now, right? Um, why can't I do that? Why shouldn't we do that? And and I think that is, is what I'm most proud of. And oh, for the next two or three years, I mean, that obviously will continue to be what I what I would really want to leave behind because this transformation that we're on, like I said, has to be a grassroots campaign, right? It is about getting every individual in the army really excited about wanting to, you know, build the army of the future and, and to be part of that in some small way and, and to be able to feel the satisfaction coming from that, right? And, and, and if I can create that energy and, and I can see that in people's eyes, I'd say that I have done my job. And everything else, you know, I mean, there will always be large programs in the Army. Some will succeed and some will fail. Yeah. Um, and it's really never an indicator of, you know, how well you may, uh, me as an individual, I may or may not have succeeded. But at the end of the day, it's what lasting impact you leave behind with the people that you work with. That is amazing. That is a just a great to leave a legacy like that after you know the first time you're there and continuing that on, that must be just be so empowering and and and, and exciting to to yourself and, and to others. Okay, um, I'd like to now transition to our rapid fire questions, and these are questions we've asked all our guests, and we've gotten some amazing responses. So the first question for you, Doctor Iyer, is: um, Is there an item or service that you have bought recently that has dramatically improved your life? It can be big or small. Something that you've bought in the last year or so that 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 you can that you'd like to share. 
All right. <laughs> uh, that's actually an easy one. So a uh, little, little over a year ago, I actually, you know, in, invested in buying a Peladon for myself. Oh, great. And uh, and so uh, I, you know, and this is just, you know, a little before, you know, COVID happened. Um, you know, when you're in the consulting world, you travel a lot. And, you know, the last few years, I mean, I literally was on travel every week, Monday to Thursday, and uh, had taken a toll on my health. And, um, uh, and as I turned 50, it was really important for me to, you know, get a control on my health and, and my fitness. And, and so I made a conscious effort to say, hey, you know, I, I need to lose some weight. I was about 25 pounds overweight than I am today. Um, and so I decided to invest in, in, in a Peloton and that truly has changed my life. And, um, not only did I lose weight, it's made me a lot more energetic, um, has made me, uh, eat better, think better, see better, everything better. And, uh, um, and I'm truly happy and fortunate. Um, I did that. That's awesome. Who is your favorite instructor on Peloton? Now, I don't have a preference per se, because I usually go, you know, it's it, depending upon how much time I can invest in a day. It's I'm not picky. I know people have favorites, but um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't have favorites. It's, Got it. it's basically being there with uh, with other people and and the competitive nature uh, just helps me, you know, do what I got to do. That's great. That's great. That's a great answer. Um, okay, here's another great question. When you think of a S- South Asian person that you look up to in your field, who would you say comes to mind and why? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. You know, so, I mean, so, and this is no, I mean, no, no new news for everybody, but if you if you look at all the major tech companies today, most of them are run by CEOs of South Asian origin, right? Yes. Whether it's yeah. Microsoft or it's Google or it's Adobe or Cisco. I mean, it's, you name it. It's just, you know, most of these companies today are run by by South Asians. And I, I don't know whether I would consider any one of them to be persons that, you know, that I have sort of, you know, I have used as a role model per se. But, you know, I would... Um, um, a person that probably would come to mind and gain because he is a technologist is, you know, India's former president, Dr. Abdul Kalam. Mm. And uh, not only was he a scientist uh, and, and, a, and a PhD and, and, and he, you know, uh, he developed India's nuclear and, and missile programs, right? But what I really liked about him was his humility um, his his uh, his ability to work with people, his passion for the work, um, his simplicity, right? Um, and and yet one of the smartest people on the planet, right? I mean, I think single-handedly, you know, I, I think he was a person that basically moved India into the space age, into the nuclear age, um, on its own. Unlike other nations that either stole secrets from other countries or or other nefarious activities, I think. Um, there, you know, there, there are people like that that are just so humble, um, and, uh, and, and yet, and, and yet really, really smart and intelligent. That's awesome. I didn't even know about him. So I'll definitely look him up after that. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question is what is a movie or book, Dr. Iyer, that has had the most impact on you? You know, I'm not a big reader, <laughs> um, and uh, and I am not a person that really takes a lot of interest in movies either. But one that probably, let's see, 
one one that probably like sticks out in my mind is again this is you know a lot of people a lot of people love this movie is the Shawshank Redemption mm. um it's it's an old movie but it still sticks sticks in my head because it at the end of the day it's about you know if you believe in yourself things can take a long time sometimes right but if you truly believe in yourself that you can make change and you and you are doing the right things you will get it done right it may take a lot of time it may take a lot of patience and you may go through a lot of pain and and struggle but if you believe in yourselves and and you believe that you're doing the right thing it will lead to success and i think that's one movie that probably captures that 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 spirit really well yeah that's a brilliant movie and to your point of it taking time it can take your whole lifetime sometimes for it for, mm-hmm. for for it to to happen and get what you want so yes i i absolutely love that movie that that's that's a great recommendation Okay, this is one of my favorite questions. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Um, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming South Asian person who's interested in joining the government or the military? What advice would you give them and why? Yeah, so one, it should never be about the money because it will never be about the money. <laughs> But it has to be about you know i mean what are you going to give back to your adopted home right so for a lot of people who have now immigrated here and this is now your home right um what what are you going to do to give back to this nation that's given you so much right and and so i believe that has to be a sense of patriotism and and giving back um in in every individual in in some way and 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 you know there are a lot of people that volunteer uh there are people that do other things but you know people still feel like you know come to work for the government is like oh that's just a you know dead end job that i'm not going to really make any progress and i and i tell people that that's absolutely not the case right um i i have shown you how at least in my case you know you if you set a vision for yourself you set a dream for yourself you can turn it into something that you really want it to be right you are you're not, you you should not and you and you will never be held down by by the bureaucracy if you're on the right path and and you have the passion to succeed and and so i would say you know uh, for for a youngster like my own, like my own son for example uh, my a fourth generation public servant now he will be starting his first internship internship this summer at the department of treasury and wow. and so yeah so so uh, and i didn't even have to tell him that he decided that his first job uh, in college was going to be to come work for the federal government even though he is in the silicon valley he he goes to school at uc berkeley and he was tempted with a lot of offers to you know with a lot of startup companies and and googles and microsofts of the world he decided that he his first job was going to be in the government and uh and i i think it is it's about people seeing that hey that that you can make a change and it is it is a very satisfying experience to you know to feel that you are giving back to your nation in some way um and by the way you know getting to work with some awesome people that have the same objectives as you do right and yeah. and it's not always about the money it doesn't you know yeah there will be you know politics in every every large organization but you know in, when you work for the government you can always put all that behind and say hey it's mission first That's right. Mission first and give you such great perspective, right? And you can always even in your career go back to the private sector, but not many people can say, "Hey, I worked in public sector too." And that's how you can be different and have a, have a different sort of experience. That's wonderful. 
Okay, Dr. Ed, this has been a fantastic, fantastic interview. Uh, thank you for, for your time. Any final ask for the audience? Anything you'd like to leave them with before we close? Uh, not, not necessarily. I would say, you know, we have a, you know, I would, I would encourage South Asians in this country to, um, to, to learn more about the United States history, right? It's not, you know, never time, there was a time in the past when, you know, immigrants like me, when we came here 30 years ago was for economic opportunism, right? But now it shouldn't be that, that way anymore, right? Like if you are here, uh, and, and you, you, you've made a decision to come live in this country, um, you know, you have to make, you know, you have to be able to make some sacrifices back to this yeah. country and give back. And, um, and so that doesn't mean that you got to give up your culture and your history and, and your, you know, your, your background and, and everything you grew up with, because that will always be part of you. And that's what this country is about. The reason why this country is so great is because people are able to bring, bring their, their, their rich heritage and their cultures and, and languages and religions. And and you can have all that and right. still be part of this wonderful nation because that's how this nation was set up to be. And and you do not have to, you know, bring it down to the lowest common denominator. You know, we, you know, our our strength is in our diversity as, as a nation. And 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 we should take every opportunity to to share about, you know, our 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 history and our and our traditions and our culture and our language and our religion. And, uh, and when, when we do that, and when we all do that in this country, I think, you know, we will all learn from each other. Um, and and that will lead to so much of a better understanding um, across, you know, our peoples. That's wonderful. That is so cool. And thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, we, again, appreciate your time, appreciate your service, and, um, and cannot wait to see the amazing things the Army will do on, under, your, under your leadership. So thank you again for being on South Asian Stories. Thank you, Samir. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.